0: Good morning. Welcome to City Church Online. We're thankful that you could join us this morning. Just a few announcements at the beginning here. I do want to remind you that we have city groups. Uh, they are virtual city groups, one on Tuesday night and one on Thursday night. We also have a virtual prayer time on Monday nights. That you can join us at 7 o'clock. If you need any information on that, you can email us at information at um, citychurch.org or elders at citychurch.org. We'd be glad to fill you in on that Um, also next sunday we will be back live at east point academy so we're doing every other week so this week we're online next week we'll be back live so we look forward to seeing you there we understand that some people are not comfortable with that yet and you can also continue to listen to our podcast for our sunday mornings when we're live so don't don't miss anything this has been a good series and we're just thankful that you can be a part So don't don't miss out. Now this morning, as we're talking again about the needs of an imperfect church, if you remember, when we first started this series, we talked about 2 Corinthians being one of the most personal of Paul's letters. And in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, which we're in today, is probably one of the most personal parts of the most personal letter. Paul really just begins to talk about his own life, and different struggles and different things. But it's, it's funny, one of the things he says is he talks about what he's doing is very foolish. Now what he's saying is he never likes to talk about himself. Paul understood and knew that he was where he was because of what God had done in his heart and life. It wasn't about Paul. But there had been controversy with other teachers there in Corinth who were saying bad things about Paul and so he feels like he's got to kind of get personal with them and tell him some of, his, some of his own struggles and own things that are going on so that they will understand and know his love and his care for them. And so as he, he tells all these different things, it sounds kind of crazy as he talks about being foolish. But, but let's understand the context of what he's doing. So today, we're going to talk about the fact that an imperfect church needs trustworthy leadership. You know, I can remember when I was 17 years old, my youth pastor told me, you're you're a leader and you need to be leading some other people. And so he put me in charge of middle school kids, which was not a good thing. Um, I don't know about for them, but it wasn't a good thing for me. But it was a good time because it began to teach me some lessons. And he began to pour into me what it meant to be a leader. And when we talk about leaders, that can become such a Just a a time of building people up and giving pride where it's really not about lifting myself up. The leadership is just a gift that God has given that it should be stewarded as a servant, as someone who is there to do what's best for everyone else. But in this idea that he's talking about this morning, he's talking about trustworthy leaders need to invest in others. And uh, one of my favorite television shows is the Andy Griffith Show. I know that shows my age, um, and I realize and understand that the innocence on the Andy Griffith Show wasn't always as innocent as it came across, but, but one of my favorite skits that seems to come into several different shows in different formats, but it's always the same premise, and that is that Opie has some sort of issue he's dealing with, and Andy's trying to help Opie deal with it, but Barney feels like he knows better than Andy how to deal with Opie. I mean, I remember him telling me, you don't even know your own boy. You know, I think, what do you know, Barney? But but here he is, he's always trying to teach Opie, and he's he's always giving the wrong advice. He's always leading Opie astray. He, Andy usually just rolls his eyes and, and says, well, I, you know, I'm going to do it the way I feel like I need to do it. But the point behind Barney's misinformation is he's not he doesn't have a vested interest in Opie. He's a friend, but he's not Opie's father. Opie's father has a vested interest in how Opie turns out. And so he pours his life into Opie rather than Barney, who just every once in a while has some sort of article he's read or some sort of thing that he feels like he's gotta tell. And so what Paul is doing here in Second Corinthians is he's saying. You've got some of these leaders that are here who are not invested in you. they are here and they're being they're telling you a lot of things but it's not because they care about you they just want to get their point out but he's saying I want you to understand who I am that I love you that there's a there's a aspect to my leadership that shows that I'm here to, to serve you and to love you and part of that is, he uses an analogy of a father. And, and in 1 Corinthians, Paul said that there's, you have many guides, but not many fathers. And so I've become a father to you. So he's, he's concerned about their welfare. J. Oswald Sanders says this, A true leader regards the welfare of others rather than his own comfort and prestige of primary concern. See, it's not about what makes me comfortable. It's what makes you more like Christ. And so, as we're leading, we're, our concern is for you, not for our own things. Now, as we think about that, Paul recognized and understood that a father has to fight for the well-being of his kids. You know, I can remember, you know, seeing you see on TV all these different things where the father takes a stand so that his family can survive. And so this is what we're talking about. Paul is saying, because I am your spiritual father, because I feel this necessity to lead you as a father, then there's going to be certain things that are true in our relationship. The first thing he says is, trustworthy leaders lead with a fatherly jealousy. He said, now Wade, jealous is not a good word. You're right, in some ways it's not. some ways when someone is jealous and they act selfishly, that's, that's a bad thing. But it's not a bad thing for me to be jealous over my wife, to say, I want to protect her and I want to guard her and I want to make sure she is getting all that she needs. That's the jealousy we're talking about here. So Paul says this, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. "...to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ." That's verses 2 and 3 of 2 Corinthians 11. He says here, "...I'm like a jealous father who is protecting my child who is betrothed to marry someone else." And we don't use that terminology anymore. We talk about engagement and it's usually people who have dated and have fallen in love and, and there's a, a giving of a ring and an engagement. But in these days, when your children were young, you pretty much decided she's going to marry him when they get older. And you made this covenant together with her family and, and it was this betrothal. And so the purpose for the father then from that moment forward is to do everything he can to protect his daughter. Everything he can so that he can present his daughter to this young man when they get married as a virgin, as pure, and so he has protected her. Now, he's saying, I'm doing this because I don't want you to be deceived like Eve was deceived. The serpent came in Genesis chapter 3 and led Eve down a path that she didn't need to go. And because of that, we all are born into sin even today because she was deceived and led astray. And he's trying to tell her that, that I don't want that to happen to you. All these teachers are coming in. I don't want you to be deceived. And so now I know in today's society... It seems like, well, that's very arrogant for a father to protect his daughter. You know, isn't the daughter, she's not weak, so why does he have to protect her? She's a, a strong woman. Well, the issue is not protecting her because she's weak. The issue is he's protecting her because she's valuable. My wife is not weak by any stretch, but I protect her because she's valuable to me. And a father's daughter was valuable. He didn't want to make sure that he could present her Pure and holy to her husband, so he wanted to protect her in a jealous kind of way. And it's also that he is protecting her from being deceived by smooth talk and a false gospel. Now these guys were coming in and very slick in what they had to say. They even said, "Well, Paul doesn't; he's not a good speaker, but we are. Listen to us, good speakers." But they were teaching a different gospel. And, and Paul saying he, he wants to protect. The church of Corinth, like a father protecting his daughter from some smooth talking guy. You know, it amazed me. I worked for many years in youth ministry, and there were always have these young girls that were solid Christian girls who, around prom time, are, just, are getting upset because they don't have a date for the prom, and some guy comes along that has no interest whatsoever in the Lord, really has no interest in this young girl, but will ask her to the prom and then she starts dating him and she's all excited and they have nothing in common. She wants to follow the Lord. He doesn't want to follow the Lord, but because he has deceived her and his smooth talking many times, I've seen it. I've seen these young girls just fall away from the Lord because they're in love with this guy who doesn't care anything about the Lord. And Paul's saying, I don't want that to happen to you as the church at Corinth. I'm here to jealously protect you. Now, the elders at City Church are here to protect. Not, again, not because we are strong and you're weak, but because you're valuable. Our desire, our heartbeat is to keep you pure and holy and to teach you how to do that and to present you to Christ as pure and holy now sometimes that means hard teaching this this series through second corinthians has had some times when we've had to be kind of hard in what we said but it's not because we don't love you it's because we do love you we desire for you to hear the truth not just some smooth talking salesman kind of pitch you know and we're not the flashy preachers that are out there Maybe we're not the best orators that are out there. But the point is, we're here to to teach you and to help you to be all that Christ has called you to be because we love you and we want you to be who He has designed you to be. Paul Barnett says this, Christians need to think about what they are being taught rather than being impressed by who is teaching them. Let's say that again. Christians need to think about what they are being taught rather than being impressed by who is teaching them. You hear it all the time now. You ask somebody, what church do you go to? Well, I go to so-and-so's church and they name the pastor. Now, I have nothing against that pastor. Pastor. He's probably doing exactly what God's called him to do. But somewhere along the line, the people began to think that that church belongs to that pastor because they like that pastor. And if that pastor leaves, then they go find another church where they like the pastor. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about changing fathers every time a new flashy father comes along. The elders of the church are here to help you be all that God's called you to be, to teach you so that we can present you to Christ holy and pure. The next thing he says here is trustworthy leaders lead with a fatherly sacrifice. Second Corinthians 11 says this, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? Now Paul had been in other churches where he took money for his preaching. So as the issue's not whether someone's a paid pastor or a paid staff member to church, the point here he's trying to make is, I don't want you to think that the only thing I want is money, so therefore I'm not going to accept any money. I'm here to invest in you to pour into you. I'm here to sacrifice what I deserve. Because the Bible says that you're, you're to pay the leaders, you're to take care of the leaders, and so he says, "I deserve it, but I'm not not challenging that right. I'm saying I'm setting aside that right because I love you and I don't want anything to get in the way." He's willing to sacrifice and give up. You know, fathers should be the ones who are sacrificing for the family. Now we've all seen fathers that don't do that. Fathers that are all about themselves, fathers that are all about more stuff they can buy, fathers that, that abuse, fathers that are just selfish and focused on who they are. But that's not what we're called to be as fathers. We're called to sacrifice for the rest of the family. We're called to be the ones who, if somebody needs money, we give it up. If, someone, if there's not enough food, we're the ones who don't eat. But but that's not the way we always do it. But that's what Paul's saying: is I'm doing this because I want to serve you. And and leaders in the church should have the same spirit. Linda Belleville says this: so far from being a sign of indifference, his refusal to accept support is actually evidence of his love for the Corinthians. He's saying this proves that I love you. Because I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And then lastly, trustworthy leaders lead with a fatherly concern. They're the ones who are always concerned about someone else. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my name and they hear my voice and they follow me. But he says he compares it to a hireling. Someone who gets paid to watch the sheep rather than loving the sheep. It says when a bear or a fox or a wolf comes along to steal a sheep, if you're just paid to watch the sheep, you run away. But the shepherd is willing to step up and fight the animal and possibly even lay down his own life to protect the sheep. And Paul is saying the same thing here. I'm not going to run away. I'm here because I'm concerned about you. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 says this. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Now, he says, apart from these other things, there's this pressure from the churches. What are these other things he's talking about? It says here, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Oh, I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure... Then, and apart from all these things, there's the pressure of all the church. He says, in the midst of all these things I've been through, all these struggles he's been through, he's basically saying, the greatest burden on me, the greatest suffering that I do is my concern for you. Is, is I lose sleep, I, I stay up at night wondering, are you making it? How can we help you do better? And the elders at City Church feel that way about you. I've been in meetings with these guys where we cry and we struggle with how do we help our folks to learn and to walk and to be what God's called them to be. And sometimes it feels like we we can't quite figure it out and then sometimes things happen and it's great to hear and see, but it's because we're concerned about you. Jay Oswald Sanders says, The real qualities of leadership are to be found in those who are willing to suffer for the sake of objectives great enough to demand their wholehearted obedience. Trustworthy leaders see the growth of the people they're leading as a worthwhile objective that demands their wholehearted obedience. It's not about what's easiest and best for the leaders. It's what's best for the church so that we can present others to Christ. One of my life verses is Colossians 1.28 that says, "...him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ." That's what I desire to do. I teach and I warn, hopefully with wisdom, so that I can present people mature in Christ. So with all that, how do you know who to trust? I mean, I'm telling you, you can trust the elders at City Church, but I'm one of the elders, so maybe I'm just telling you that. But but we need to understand there's certain things we can do to help us learn how to trust. So there's questions I want to ask that I want you to think through asking these questions when you hear someone teach and someone's trying to lead you astray. It says, what do I know? about this person's character. Not how good of a speaker are they. Not do they have the right look. Not their resume and all their accomplishments. But is their character one that reflects Christ? Because I've heard a lot of good speakers over the years. I've heard people who can wow a crowd but their character stinks. And so I don't really want to listen to them because of their character. But I can remember one of the most godly men. I, I used to read his books just all the time. And I heard him speak, and it was one of the driest things I ever heard in my life. But I knew what he was saying was powerful because I knew his character. So it's not a matter how good you speak, not a matter how good you look, it's a matter of your character. The next question to ask is, is there anything about this person who make that makes me wary? You know, you've met people sometimes that when you first meet them, you just can't quite pin it down, but there's something not right. There's, there's something about them that just makes you feel uneasy. Now that might be a judgmental spirit on your part could be there's nothing wrong with that person, but you're just making a judgment about how they look or what they say. But it might also be the Holy Spirit going, hey, you need to be careful around this person. I can remember several years ago with the ministry I work with, there was someone that, that we were bringing on staff and just something didn't quite feel right to me. Now, I was new enough on staff at the time that I didn't say anything. And later on, we ended up having to fire this person because of immoral behavior. And so I should have listened to that feeling. I should have known when there was something wary about him that his character wasn't what it should be and I didn't need to let him lead. Another question is, is this person willing to invest in me or do I have to always invest in them? I've known pastors who have to constantly have their egos fed. People have to constantly tell them how wonderful they are. But they don't spend the time to invest in others. If if I'm a father and all I want is my kids to tell me how great of a father I am, but I'm not willing to invest my life into them, I'm not being a good father. I'm being selfish. I'm uh, I'm just focusing on what's good for me and making me feel good, not what's best for my family. Do, do the leaders have to always be the center of attention? Are they willing to pour out their lives for you? Another question. Is this person willing to sacrifice so that others can advance? You see, the, the mark of a true leader is that they develop people to take their place. A leader, if they're doing their job, should constantly be working themselves out of a job. They should constantly be developing the next generation so that they can come and take the mantle and do what they're called to do. In the Old Testament, Elijah was the prophet of God. And he was the the center of attention. And he was leading the nation. But there came a time where Elisha began to follow him around and work with him. And there came that time where Elijah was taken up And Elisha took his place. We see Paul and Barnabas. We see Paul and Timothy. Over and over again, leaders who are developing someone else to take their place. But of all those questions, the last question is the most important. Does what this person say fit with the whole of Scripture? If someone harps on one aspect of scripture and doesn't pull it all together that can be dangerous that becomes a pet peeve that that person works on all the time and they're focused on that and that can lead them and lead you astray so always check what the person says against scripture because if they're a fatherly leader if they're a trustworthy leader they're going to lead using the scriptures they're going to lead in a way That is there to build you up and to help you. So my last advice to you is be careful who you listen to and who you follow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the many leaders over the years that I have had the privilege of sitting under their teaching, under their leadership, that have taught me your word have taught me godly character, have taught me how to follow You. Lord, I pray that we as elders at City Church are those kind of leaders for others. But I pray that all of it, no matter how we look at it, that it's always a matter that we look to the greatest leader of all, and that is You, Lord Jesus. Because if we follow Your example, then we will be what You've called us to be. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Have a good day.